Alright, uh, what book are we reading again? I don't know. It's it's um it's been a while we've been when trapped in this uh mountain retreat, you know. Um I to be honest, I, I'm I've not really been paying attention to the book. I've just I've just kind of been going down into the boiler room um every night and just leafing through uh the scrapbook down there and I'm just reading these sordid tales of the past of this of this uh, mountain retreat and um I don't know some some strange ideas are forming the little school that's what it was oh oh that's right that's right yeah um you know I'm starting to kind of turn on Gary personally um I didn't think I would at this point but um yeah he's just he's kind of full of it and I think he's he's kind of you know pro-establishment at this point so I'm kind of siding with um the principal here well you know there's there's a lot of a lot to get into with that with this story um i mean there i think there's you could see a lot of like this sort of tragic pathos of the principal but you have to also sort of reckon with the fact that he has a certain um you know a certain arrogance a certain you know a, it's it's just that his his being thwarted in life is causing him to kick down uh, obviously you know in in ways that are that are not uh the way he should um welcome back to the shining my name is dusty and uh my name is failed rifferson oh no 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 not your failed riff i just failed during the riff the riff uh it's okay. I, I i did not successfully yes and it's okay f I, I yes ummed. So, um, episode three, part four. Um, things are heating up a lot. And this was the And also cooling part. down. Yes, that too. Uh, shortest part so far. Only, I think, my, my copy of the book, I think it was somewhere in the ballpark of like 128 pages, I want to say. Yeah. I, my, my copy was something like that. I, 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 I didn't keep an exact page count, but I was just it it, it does it did go faster than any part other part since part one for me anyway. Yeah. Um I feel like there's a lot to take in with this one, especially with Jack's character arc. Boy man Is there a better word to describe Jack in this part than disappointing? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah, this is a big, big moment for the development of, of Jack. Um, I don't know, or is it, is it development or a regression of sorts? A regression as a human, but perhaps development as a character. This is a, calling what Jack goes through this part a regression would be a compliment. I, I feel like we went from th this is the part where the turn has taken from tragic protagonist I'm not going to say hero because he was never the hero he's just the protagonist right now uh, I think this is where Jack took the turn from tragic protagonist to unsympathetic villain it definitely feels like um, he was the primary the primary uh, focus on this chapter or on this part of the book I would be curious, based on the way things are developing in the plot, 
if he will kind of take a back seat in this latter part of the book and become more of a um, a secondary character, where da- whereas Danny becomes the the uh, the nominal protagonist. Yeah, I feel like uh, to give a little bit of a um, an analogy here. I feel like Jack Torrance has just hit his equivalent of cutting off Mace Windu's hand, and now we are about to watch Order sixty six be initiated. Yeah, that that is kind of the vibe. Uh, we're, we're, we're I'm feeling right now. It's um, I don't know. It's just it's one of those things. Obviously, I mean, even setting aside the fact that this book is even if it's not the contours of the book exactly, but the contours of the story broadly are widely known because The Shining was such a, uh, a huge uh, movie. And the book actually was quite successful as well. But so, so the contours of the story are probably pretty well known to most people. But nevertheless, I think King does a good job of uh, making it still um, impactful. And still, like, you're, you're reading along, and there's a part of you that hopes that it's not going to turn out the way it very clearly looks like it's going to turn out and then when and then things just sort of continue to degenerate and you're like oh oh no no this is not oh no (laughs) yeah so to to no longer beat around the bush here so we're starting this this part um post Danny in two seventeen being strangled by the dead tub lady. Um, Wendy and Jack are have both dozed off, and Jack has a nightmare that gives us a little backstory about his father. So I think before this we gotten a little bit of info about his father stuff like jack loved him despite him being abusive and all of his siblings hated him because of it and whatnot so now we get a little more meat into it we get to see like what it was that jack kind of clung to with his father and uh shocker here uh a little bit of alcohol involved into the why on how his dad would come home so jack would be waiting for his father to come home from a bar and when he would come home he would pick him up and jack would just smell all the booze on him and then they would play a little game called elevator where he would just lift him up and maybe toss him up in the air um i feel like it kind of did or didn't involve that sometimes but then if he was just really drunk he would just toss him behind him just oops i forgot that i'm supposed to be holding you and just throw him backwards, and he'd slam into the ground in the hallway behind him. You know, just totally normal father-son interactions. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And um, another... It's just... I don't know. I just found that the parallel... And obviously this is something that King is doing, is he's he's establishing this idea about the cycle of abuse... um, by by giving this this uh, information about Jack and his father, um, so it's just it, but it's interesting to see the parallels already, like the 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 alcoholism um, with uh, Jack him, himself as the 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 child and Danny, you know, both you know very loving and 
having very warm feelings for their father but and you know and that that image of the child waiting for their father to come home you know just being being kind of woven through uh the characterization of jack as a child and also danny i think it's it's an interesting idea and it's i wouldn't say it's particularly subtle but i think it's um it's it is a well done sort of um way to to illustrate that concept yeah kind of shows that there's a cycle and it's making me wonder if danny will find himself in a similar position when he becomes a father well maybe we'll find out one day i don't know i haven't read dr sleep so i don't know um so and then we also get the story of the major incident between his mom and dad uh so he has this cane this gold studded cane at the top and he had a bunch of fits where he would beat jack's mom but this one was particularly bad. Uh, he was in some drunken sleeping stupor at the dinner table. And when he kind of woke up from it, he just immediately was deeply offended by something that Jack's mom did. Don't think it was anything. I think it was... He, I imagine it's a similar situation where it's like, you know, the stories that they, they uh, that people on the internet tell that are probably not true of oh yeah my girlfriend had a dream I cheated on her and now she's giving me the cold shoulder all day like something equivalent like that like Jack's dad had a dream that I don't know I guess his, uh, his wife slandered him in some way so he wakes up and immediately just clobbers her seven times with his cane and I am were genuinely... they at the dinner table Yes, because there were. was like the, the big the big deal about like her her the image of her her being smacked in the head and then her glasses going flying and landing in the mashed potatoes. Yeah, so he hits her seven times, and I'm genuinely amazed she didn't get brain damage from this. I thought she was gonna just become brain dead or something. Um, but no, uh, she goes to the hospital he makes up a lie oh she fell down the stairs and you know, nobody believes no, no one believes it but you know what, what can you do and then she of course because she is a a victim in this extremely abusive household and because she was raised uh with the christian belief that it doesn't matter what happens it is your christian duty to keep your marriage intact which can we talk I don't, I don't even think that's specifically a religious thing that's just something that they used religion as an excuse for at least that's how i feel about it like I, I don't think that there is any real like actual realistic hey my religion says i should stay in this relationship even though i'm getting beaten and abused and all this like i, I would like to think that good christians would look at that and be like, yeah, no, um, this woman needs help. Different religions and different sects within Christianity, probably, they feel, they feel differently about that. Um, certainly in that, that sort of time and place, this, this sort of a, um, early, mid 20th century, you know, heavily Catholic area, you know, very traditionalist, there is a good chance that there is not they're not really going to give you that uh they they they're going to look very negatively on divorce even in that context 
obviously heinous though that though it is it's just you know there are certain and obviously not i don't want me to say that everybody even at that time period or of that religion agrees with that but it was it was a pretty widely held uh belief for excuse me it was a widely held belief for for many sects of christian yeah christianity even even some a little bit today will, will get apologetic about that kind of thing yeah which i i do think is a, a bastardization of the ideas of 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 being a good christian because like i said i don't think any actual good christian would look at that situation and be like yeah just tough it out because that's what god wants you to do uh i i don't believe for a second that's how things would actually play out in a healthy religious community but that i think is uh, i think it's a statement more so on like how society kind of warps things um look at i'm just sitting here like being an apologist towards christian beliefs um i think it's more so a societal thing that they just hid behind the idea of religion to try and push this subjugation of women i think that's the point i'm trying to make you see it the same thing today with the lgbt community they're hiding behind this idea of religion to try and like be against lgbt people and it's bullshit that's not that's not accurate that's not how it's it's just you know it's a paper tiger defense and you're just saying oh well this book says this even though you know i'm not going to get into the whole thing about that but i think it's a similar kind of vein with how women were seen back then and they were using religion as a as a tool to keep the woman down in that situation so yeah it's it's it was i don't know that that portion of the book um was was that was quite a difficult read um you know it obviously felt just tremendously bad for jack's mother in that in that moment so yeah we get a little more about his home life after that uh his mother stayed with with his father until his father ended up dying of a stroke uh, the kids left because they were just tired of this just abusive family. And, you know, Jack eventually got out in his own way as well. Uh, so to kind of wrap up this kind of dream state that he has, he starts hearing his father talk to him. And his father is like, hey, your wife and son are an albatross around your neck. Kill him. Just kill him. You're going to be better. Like, you know, our artist deserves to be, be suffering. Kill your wife. Kill your son. You know, kill your family. Kill your family. You know, just that whole spiel. And he rejects it. And he and it's coming. His father's voice is coming out of the CB radio. And so he, he breaks the radio in anger and rejection of these claims. And that wakes him up. That wakes Wendy up because he shouted out loud as well. And it turns out he was... Was he down in the boiler room or just down on the first floor looking through? Because he was looking through, like, receipts when he ended up falling asleep. I think that uh, the CB radio is, like, in one of the offices. Like, isn't it in Ullman's office? Uh, yeah, something like that. But, I mean, like, where he was when he was looking at the, the receipts. Because he's, he's trying to find any information he can to help his potential book about the Overlook. Um, and then when he wakes up, he's in the office with the, the CB radio. Um, so he sleepwalked to it, and then Wendy. Comes Hold on, there's there's one there's one other important uh, aspect of the the Jack father backstory that we 
we need to hit before we move on. Okay. And it's it's some extremely important foreshadowing, um, which is Jack's father. Uh, you know, when he was when he was uh, beating his mother, he uses the phrase, "I guess you'll take your medicine now," which is uh, rather dark foreshadowing, given the context of of uh, the of what Danny's uh, hallucinations have have manifested. Yeah. So, his screaming, it wakes him him up as he smashes the radio. It wakes Wendy up, and Wendy rushes down to see what the ruckus is. Passes right by Danny, who is standing at the top of the stairs, completely catatonic with bruises on his neck. Um, she runs down to Jack. He's like, oh no, what's going on? And he's just like, I had a horrible dream. He breaks down and starts crying. He's like, ah, my father, I can't believe it. Oh, so terrible. Ah. And she's like, it's okay, it's okay. And then... They're like they're both just like where's Danny, and Wendy immediately gets like super suspicious and accusatory towards Jack, and is thinking about how he broke Danny's arm, which I'm a level with you here, completely unfair on Wendy's part, like completely unfair to for her to just immediately where's Danny? Mm, I bet you did something to him, and then this is gonna loop back around here in a second. To where they go looking for Danny, and they stop and see him at the top of the stairs with the bruises on his neck, and him just staring off blankly, and they rush to get him, and Wendy's first thought is, you did this to him, which, I mean, to be fair, as far as she's aware, the three of them are the only ones in the hotel, and that is true from a corporeal standpoint. Well, maybe maybe not even a corporeal standpoint. From a from a an actual living standpoint, they are the only living beings inside the hotel at this point in time. So, like, yeah, if she knows that she didn't do it, and she knows that someone did it to him, then yes, the next logical step is that Jack did it. Sure, but I feel like. If, and, and granted, I understand her not taking a step back and thinking logically because this is a very stressful, highly emotional situation. So her brain just immediately goes to the knee-jerk reaction. Understandable. I don't know. I I'm. I think in her in her case, it is. I mean, as far as she knows, Jack is the only other person there. I I I, I think it's it's probably it, it's. Especially given his history um, with with Danny, I, I I just I don't really blame her for make for going there um, immediately. Like there's no real other at this like at least to the the point in the story um, where it's at. There's no other potential explanation that that is feasible for her to intuit in that moment. Yeah, and like I said, it was an emotional response, and she did not have the the means to actually react logically to it. So it's not her fault. I I, I think honestly, even like that's that's the the at that point the most logical, uh, the most logical uh, reason. Also, yeah. it's just because we we she can't she can't have accounted for uh, what the actual truth was because. You know, it it just it's just something that is so far out of the 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 norm of the human experience that it just in that moment you you would not you wouldn't think that either. Yeah, like I said, I'm probably being a little more biased to the truth because I know what happened. So I 
maybe I, I should give her like a little more benefit of the doubt. Like not 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 that I'm saying you should not have you should not have immediately accused Jack. You should have sat there, looked at it, and been like, hmm. Well, let's break this down. Like that's not what I'm saying, but yeah, it's it's. I I feel like it is a, a statement toward her, her actual subconscious opinion of Jack that that's her immediate response more than anything else. Like she truly does not trust him with Danny at all and she resents him deeply in a completely unfixable way which granted it's not entirely unjustified especially with what we know about Jack um so I get it but I like I said I think this is more a statement to her actual subconscious feelings towards Jack that she may outwardly and even inwardly love him but she also resents him fears him and is appalled by him i think yeah i think that's that's fair i think this does show um a great deal about where she's at as a character yeah so she locks her and danny in their bed in their bedroom because she's like don't you ever touch him again and jack is just in utter disbelief because he does he's thinking there's there's absolutely no way i could have done this and he pounds the floor and screams no and in a bit of emotional rage and just, I guess, desperation, after hovering outside the door for a while, he goes into the bar, the completely empty bar, and he has another instance where he sees alcohol and then blinks and it's gone, but then he feels like he could just, like, it's kind of like a, almost in a periphery or like a shadowy kind of thing where he can see a full shelf of alcohol he can smell the alcohol and it smells fresh he feels like there's people behind him and we get another situation kind of like when he was out doing the like cutting the hedges where mm-hmm. he's like talking to himself he's entertaining no one in particular and this time it's Lloyd the imaginary barman who I love how King does Lloyd because Lloyd doesn't exist he's not he's not some overlook creation that's there to like mess with Jack it is Jack just imagining this person there there's no dialogue from Lloyd there's like no actual semblance to suggest that Lloyd is in any way shape or form even partially a possible overlook thing it is just Jack is speaking to nobody and he is—he just imagines Lloyd's reactions, and it's done in Lloyd tends to agree. <laughs> Lloyd thinks that's okay. You know, it's just—it's things like that where it's just—he's explaining the actions of Lloyd instead of having Lloyd be an actual character. And I think that's fantastic. That's a great use of this scene to show the kind of mania that is building inside of Jack. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree. He's having a—he's having a true mental breakdown in this moment yeah so he orders 20 margs he's like it's dollarita friday line them up lloyd 20 margs he's sitting there acting like he's he's downing them and throwing them back and having them crash on the floor and he has this this is the overlook doing this part here i think uh he has this feeling of being watched by an entire like completely packed bar like full on everybody in every booth just staring at him and laughing and kind of like making comments about him under their breath just just really feeling like he's the center of attention and he's just like this clown that's 
just down in alcohol, fist over fist. And he he keeps turning around and seeing that there's nobody there. And he's like shouting, leave me alone. And there's nothing there, but he feels it like completely. Like they are there. They are watching him. And that is the hotel. Lloyd is not. Lloyd is 100% Jack, but the, the bystanders watching him are the hotel. And it's just like with... Um, there was a similar thing when... Um, oh, this is coming up in a little bit, actually. Um, I'll, I'll wait on that. This is coming up when he goes up to the room. Uh, so, yeah. And he starts singing, and that's when Wendy... She, Wendy, meanwhile, is in the room, and she's thinking to herself, uh, I need... I know that Jack did this while he was asleep... And I know he would not do this when he was awake. So I have to trust that awake Jack is sane Jack. And I need to make sure that awake Jack helps Danny and I get out of this situation. Gets down to Sidewinder. And then after that, I don't know. We'll see. So that's when she leaves to try and come back and find Jack. And she hears him singing. And she, it's like, you know, what, what, what what's going on? And about this time is when when Danny or no no I'm sorry they have a little bit of an of an exchange that's kind of important to where he's basically saying he didn't do it and she's I don't know she's not like completely believing him yet and she's basically saying like it doesn't matter and he's like it does it is important it does matter and this is when Danny wakes up and he runs to Jack and shouts, it was her, it was her. And it's like, oh, man, <laughs> no context whatsoever. That is just, I imagine, I know I know. Jack felt a little bit of delicious irony in that. And he even thinks to himself, there's no way that he's talking to about Wendy. As much as I would love that, there's no way she would ever do that. But he's still, he's just like, what was that now? Just kind of in his little air of, of his little victory, like, oh, yeah, what was that, Wendy? You uh, you want to try that again? Yeah, it's pretty clear at this point. Um, obviously, there's been this is there. There's evidence that there's already been a fatal rupture, and that was the um, the incident with with Danny's arm. But like this, may, this this whole part where the, you know they're they're especially with Jack in in this moment where he's like taking this moment and trying to like score points and all that it's pretty clear that in this moment there their relationship is really and truly dead like there is no the tr trust is totally broken down um they're you know trying they're just trying to score points you know it's it's not good yeah um yeah i i think honestly what the overlook is doing is it's just putting a spotlight on the true foundational fractures in their relationship and it's it's like yeah it's 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 breaking them open even more but it's i think it's only expediting it i think that their relationship was dead when he broke danny's arm and they've just been kind of going through the motions and it's like it's like she was thinking when they were getting there that it doesn't matter what either of them do, they're stuck together. There's nothing that I, any either of them can do to each other that will ruin the relationship. It basically have to be some external external force. And I think that external force is the overlook. And all it's doing is just emphasizing what's already there. 
Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I agree with that. So, yeah, they're now they're they're now in the kitchen. They're they're talking about um Danny they're trying to get Danny to explain what happened and he actually does explain what happens uh fully more more or less. I I uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually tells them everything for, in this situation. Um and Wendy is like honestly, she's super receptive to it. Like she she does not doubt him for a second. Which, you know what? Good on Wendy. Just, you know, great great mother there. Uh Meanwhile, Jack is he's like, "Okay, well, I got to go up there. I got to I got to see this for myself." And Wendy's sitting there thinking that there might actually be an intruder. She she's receptive to it, but she thinks it's an actual person, not a ghost. Um, and Jack's like, I gotta go up there and see for myself. And she's like, No, no, no. What if that person's still up there? Ooh. He's like, you know, I'm, I gotta, I gotta do this. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this. So he goes up. And he goes to two seventeen, and he sees that the door is ajar and the key is still in there. And man, you gotta love a good old Jack Torrance, where his first thought in that situation, he's still worried about Danny, but he's still just like. But he disobeyed me. That kid disobeyed me. And it's like, I mean, sure. Yes. You told Danny not to take the pass key. You told Danny not to explore any of the rooms. And he disobeyed you and explored 217. Yes. Is it really worth having that thought? No. You found your child in a catatonic state with bruises on his neck. And he's claiming that somebody was choking him out. And you're, when you see the door, your first thought is about the punishment your child deserves. What? Yeah, he Jack Jack comes off in an incredibly uh, petty manner here in this in this part of the book. This is like the least petty he is in the entire section too. This is like this is the most good Jack is in this entire section. This is his peak to really put some perspective on his character. Yeah, yeah, you weren't kidding when when you're saying this is this is a this is with the inverse of a redemption arc. Yeah. So he goes in there. He walks in, looks in the bathroom, opens the curtain. There's nothing there. It's bone dry. The only thing that's kind of weird is that there's a bath mat on the floor. But I'm kind of with. I hate to say this. I'm kind of with Jack on this point that that's not really indicative of anything other than potentially a maid just didn't do it. Like a bath mat on the floor is it's nothing. It's 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 completely inconsequential. Mm-hmm. But then as he's leaving um is it he hears something or the door shuts behind him? Uh isn't it I I think it was the door shutting behind him. Yeah, so he goes back into the bathroom, and now the curtain is drawn again. And he didn't draw it back closed when he left. But then he also, he starts smelling pink soap. And he, it's, like, really there. It's super fresh. It's in his nose. It's not, wasn't there before. It's absolutely there. And he feels like he can see the outline, the silhouette of something in the bathtub. And he's just like, uh-uh, nope. And he heads back towards the door. The front, the, the door to the room is closed at this point. And he's sitting there thinking, oh, God, it's going to be locked. It's going to be locked, just like Danny. 
but he actually opens it and it's it's there and he slams the door shut and he's hearing he swears that he heard as he's like leaving wet squelching and then hurried footsteps towards the door and he's like he locks the door gets to the opposite wall and just shuts his eyes and he starts hearing the doorknob rattling and he's like if I don't see it it doesn't exist and he just keeps his eyes clamped shut until the noise fades and then he's just like well I'm hallucinating there's no way that was actually a real thing and as he's heading back he sees that the fire hose is in a different spot than he remembers it being when he came up but that's not important I guess to him he's just like uh, you know weird stuff There, there's humans have an extra, an astounding ability to rationalize things. Yeah. Which I mean, in his situation, I would be really trying to rationalize it as well. But with it would be so much harder to do with the fact that Danny just experienced that. I, I don't think I, I could. 100% I could try I would be trying my absolute hardest to play it off as oh well he said that so that's what I was expecting and that's the hallucination I had because of that but it would be so much harder than if it was just an isolated incident like the the, the, the topiary was yeah the uh, I mean I don't know the, the squelch the, the, the squelching and the, the, the running that would that would be tough for me I don't think I could rationalize that one but like the like the uh, the hallway with the, the the fire extinguisher and it's going the other way. I, I would probably be like, I don't know. I guess I thought it was the other way, but yeah. there's no there's there's no possible way you can rationalize the the other. Yeah, and I, I know it's more than than just rationality in in play here. But if it was me, and I I was in that situation, I heard the the footsteps and the door rattling and all that. My very first thought would be like. All right, so uh, we're leaving right now. I don't care about our stuff. Uh, we're just gonna bundle up enough to get to get warm. We're leaving, and there is a way for them to leave, as we're about to find out. Um, so yeah, he goes back, and he's just like, "Yep, nothing, nothing there." That's it. Which is just this is so appalling. This moment when yeah. he's just like, oh, "There's nothing in there." It just. Are it just so galling, you know, to 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 just to lie to them about that extreme the 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 if not extreme danger, extreme weirdness. Yeah, you know, it just it just uh it just totally this this specific moment. I I almost don't even understand. Like generally, Jack's actions can be understood as you know. You know, being based in some way about his character, I don't. I I fully don't understand why he makes the decision to lie about room two seventeen in this moment. Yeah, it's 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 his it's the selfishness. He's being really selfish, and he's gonna continue to do so. And like honestly, I think it gets even worse too with with his actions about the room in particular when uh, they let Danny sleep in their room. And him and Wendy are talking about it. And he's like, I'm of two minds about this. Either it's I either it's like stigmata 
which is just such a ridiculous thing to say and he and he even acknowledges that as well but what a ridiculous suggestion or the kid did it to himself which is just even more appalling like oh yeah i know especially knowing what he knows the gall to suggest that danny did that to himself is just psychotic yeah and yeah i just oh, go ahead and, and like i know we we know because we're the readers but even still like jack should know better at this point yeah it's just i just it just maybe it doesn't make any sense to me because i just can't i I try not to view uh characters in this light Uh, i I try to let characters be their own thing i try to not be like uh i wouldn't do that so it's a plot hole you know that kind of guy but it's just like i just it just boggles my mind this decision of jack's it's just like it just i just can't account for (laughs) that kind of like just pig-headedness or selfishness is just just unbelievable it got, I, I had to set the book down after that chapter just just take a break for i think i think i didn't read until the next day i was just so just viscerally annoyed yeah everything jack is doing in this part is because he wants to stay because he he feels he's owed it he is entitled to to what the this job will bring him in what i it, it's he wants that book he wants the overlook book he's being fueled by that and that that's it's completely blinding him and he's getting a couple of moments of clarity but then just immediately just intentionally closing his eyes and being like la 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 overlook book la 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 and it's it's so frustrating to read yeah so wendy he he kind of let slip on accident that uh there's a snowmobile and when he's like, oh, we need to take the snowmobile and go to Sidewinder tomorrow. That has to be what we do. And he's he's so upset at himself for giving her that possibility. He's pissed at her. And he's thinking, uh, I should, you know, I would love to shut that fucking mouth of hers. You know, they're just being, like, really aggressive toward her in his mind. Which is just not and he, good. And also just demeaning. Like, he's yeah. mocking her in this moment. Um, he's saying crazy things like, oh, so, so I'm going to be Superman and just fly him down, you know, you know, just before that and, and just, just saying, talking, saying that she's, there was this really bizarre thing where he's talking about sociologists and he's like, you're not internalizing the truths or whatever. It's just like, dude, just, just shut up. You're, you're being, you're being an enormous even if there was some validity to what he he's saying though the there isn't but even i'm just saying like the, the just the way just even to treat or to talk in that way is just it's just oh you're just listening to him and you're you're just you just grow to hate him in this portion of the book i know i don't mean to keep banging that drum here but it's just just appalling the way he he's acting i mean that is the theme of this section to be fair yeah yeah so and this this believe it or not it gets worse from here it only (laughs) keeps going down believe me this this is this is a slide this is not a roller coaster this is a slide just straight down (laughs) maybe it spirals a little bit but it's still going down there is no up here there's not even a plateau it's just 
terrible. Um, phenomenal writing, though. Great job, Stephen King. Love it. Um, so the next day, he goes to the shed to try and figure out the snowmobile, and he's just... <laughs> you got to bring back the wasp imagery it's yellow and black and he feels like just like the wasp this snowmobile is the sting on his life that is making his everything go negative for for jack torrance how he's still the victim and like ah these 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 damn wife and kids all trying to be all like oh we gotta do what's best for us and he's like nah what's best for me why is no one thinking about what's best for me and granted he does kind of like have like i said he has moments of clarity here he does have that where he's just like what am i saying wendy's 100 percent right danny is the only thing that matters danny needs to get out of here this is not safe for him yes we need to go and he has that, and that's what kind of gets him through actually fixing the snowmobile because it's missing spark plugs and a battery, and he finds the spark plugs and puts them in, and he's like, yeah, I got to do that. This is the right thing to do because Danny is the most important thing. But then he's like, oh, no, can't find the battery. Well, shucks. Gave it a good try, Wendy. Oops. But then as he's turning to leave, he sees that the stool that he had grabbed earlier was actually on top of a box labeled for the battery. He's all frustrated about that, and he's like, ah, ah, why, why, I can't universe? believe I saw the battery. <laughs> yeah. oh, I can't just lie about this at this point. Ah, oh, I gotta be honest here. And he's just like, ah, oh, screw you, universe, for, for, for intentionally placing this battery here. And I don't even think this is something we can say that the Overlook did, because why would the Overlook be like, here is the key to your escape, right here, look, 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 there it is, leave. Like, no, it's just, that's where it was, and he's like, ah, oh, damn it. So he puts it together, and then he has the end of clarity, so to say, and he's like, you know what, no, this is, I, you know... Everybody just wants to bring me down. Everybody wants to just tear me up and just treat me like I'm trash and I don't deserve any good things. But you know what? I deserve the best things because I'm Jack Torrance and I'm the best. So he just sabotages the the snowmobile completely. It's called like what's it called? The Magneto. Yeah. I I don't know what that is. I'm assuming that's something that connects to the battery. I think that is the battery. Is it? I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the battery that he he sabotaged. Yeah, like, he, he just, like, rips something out called the Magneto, and he just hawks it out into the wilderness, and the Overlook puts a little wind under it and carries it further than it was supposed to, and it puffs into the snow, and he's like, ha, just doing the Lord's work, and he, to just add salt to the wound, he goes out in a great mood and has a snowball fight with Danny, and I'm just like... Ah, uh, man. Asshole. Just the yeah. worst. Yeah, it just, just can you, I don't know. I just can't even, the selfishness it would take to, for you to, to, to purposefully strand your, your family there. It just, wow. I mean, like. <laughs> Steve, gotta give Stephen King this. He. He does. He he writes a, an extremely hateable villain here, and just this incredibly, you know, petulant, increasingly petulant uh, man-child. You know, just 
just totally just just he's just so reprehensible in this section yeah and like at what point could it have just been like he has the conversation with wendy like hey clearly it's not safe here for the two of you how about i just take you back to sidewinder here's the money i have like i don't know figure it out and then i'll just go back to the overlook which is something that like it is something that Wendy essentially has as the plan now because she's like, oh, well, since the CB's broken, the Rangers will come and check on us because they won't be able to get any progress reports. And then when that happens, Danny and I will go with them and Jack can stay and ride out the winter or whatever, which I just I don't see why they couldn't have still done that if that was the plan anyways now, why they couldn't have just done that with the snowmobile and Jack could have just been like, I'm going to go and finish my play and be a sleuth on the overlook and try and write this super expose novel i mean you know we we could have had we could have had danny and wendy and jack all winning this situation which granted i think winning for jack in the end would have led to him probably killing himself if he stayed there alone realistically because i'm sure the overlook would eventually get to him in some way but still like that would probably have been the best option at this point yeah um yeah so woo jackson ass uh and so now there i don't know why there is any figment of positivity in oh oh let me back up real quick actually because i i was about to go into a, a thing but i realized i can i can talk about i can use this as an even greater point uh why there's any sort of positivity in 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 Wendy and Jack's relationship. So when they put Danny to bed after um, the incident in 217 and before they talk about the snowmobile and when Jack is sitting there trying to... I can't believe this. When he's telling her that he's like, it's either the stigmata or he did it to himself, he is fondling her boobs and undressing her while he's doing this. And they end up having sex. Like she gets into the she's 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 getting aroused by him touching her and talking about their son being self self inflicting wounds on him. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't know. That that was that was a little bit of a strange part there. Yeah, I can't believe not like an hour or so prior she was sitting there saying, "How dare you lay your hands on my son? Never touch him again." And now she's like. Take me, gentlemen, sir. Take me. And it's it, tell me about my son being a, a schizophrenic. Do it to me. It's just so weird. Like I, I don't know what hold he has on Wendy to make her just succumb to him like that. But man, that is such a messed up relationship. Yeah, it, it's 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 pretty dark. Yeah. So now they're they're up having sex again and Danny is aware of it and he's like I'm gonna go play but the sun is facing this way and that's where I usually play and I don't want to sit in the shadow of the overlook which is some great literary metaphorical writing there whatever you want to call it I don't know it's it's a fun little play on like sitting in the shadow of the overlook and like what that means literally and metaphorically I don't know I, I think that was a fun little bit uh, so he's like, I'm going to go down to the playground, you know, the one that's right next to the hedge animals that attacked my father, which granted he does not know about that. Um, but yeah, but he, what he does know is that Dick Halloran has warned him 
don't go near the hedge animals. Which, I mean, to be fair, the playground is, like, near them, but not, like, near near them. It's They're in the same general vicinity, but they're not, like, ne- they're, like, kind of next to each other, but, like, apart. I don't know. That's at least how I understand it. But he's gotten really good with walking with snowshoes, so he goes down... And he's, he's just kind of walking around the, the playground. And, okay, let me let me see if I understand this correctly. So, there's, like, essentially a nature-formed igloo? Like, there's... I don't think that's correct. So, like, he has to dig a hole into the concrete circle and then goes into the snow down to this, like, opening. Right. So, like... Did he... I, I must have just kind of skimmed this on accident, but, like, is it just a snowbank that he just goes into? Or is it... There's, like, a piece of equipment that's completely covered in snow and he has to dig a hole to get inside of it. Because all well, it refers it, to is the concrete circle. Well, the, I think that the cement rings are just... They're... How to put this? It's like... You know how they have, like... The, the, this is how I was picturing it. You know how in like dog parks there can be like rings that you that the dog runs through essentially. Oh, like a cylinder. Yeah, that's kind of what I was picturing here. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay, I was thinking like when it said ring, like it was like a ring on the ground, not like a cylindrical tube. Yeah, I I think. To me, that that that's how I was envisioning it during this point. That makes more sense than what I was thinking. But all the same, he digs down into it, and here's another situation of of Danny thinking, "Man, it would suck if this happened," and then it happens <laughs> <laughs> because that's how the overlook works. And he's he's sitting there thinking, "Man, uh, it'd suck if there was something in here walking along with me and trying to come after me." And then as he's like, I should probably leave now because that's kind of scary. And he's trying to, cl- and then he's trying to climb up and he's like, man, it would suck if the, if the snow came down and trapped me in here. And then the snow comes down and traps him in there. And then he starts hearing some movement on the leaves behind him, which is terrifying. So he's like, you know, digging furiously to get out. He finally makes it out and he's like trying to get, he has to go around the long way to get back up the snowbank that he went down to get to the playground. But, oh, what's this? As he's moving, he hears a like kind of like snow kind of slothing off of um, something, and he turns around, and the dog is completely uncovered in the snow, and it's kind of looking at him, and he keeps going, and he hears it again, and he turns, and all the lions are uncovered, and they're actually closer to him, and so now we get part two, but this time it's Danny <laughs> being chased by by the animals, the hedge animals, and. Oh boy. This one's so much more terrifying. Yeah. Especially with the context of like just seeing this imagining this poor child, you know, in his snowshoes. You know, just trying to to get away. Just just this is this is a some great uh, like a very suspenseful moment uh that that King is writing here. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 a great little chase that he's he's being chased by all three lions. The dog is moving around to like kind of cut off his flank, and he's he's having to waddle up in these snowshoes. And he falls once, 
and he knows that if he falls again, it's over because they're really closing the gap on him. At one point, he looks around, and it's like five feet behind him, and he can see it's it's like little hedge mouth opening to get ready to pounce and it's just it's such a great scene it's so well written it, it's super tense the pacing is perfect and he ends up just bursting out in a run at the very end and he's trying to scrabble up the um the porch and he feels something slash open the uh the fabric of his of his pants and his sock on his ankle and he's like he's like i think he's falling on his face because it says like his nose was bleeding or something and Wendy and Jack come out. They're like, "What's going on? What's going on?" And he's got a little bit of a scratch on it on the back of his ankle. And he he tells them what happens. He leaves out the bit inside of the cement ring. Uh, he leaves that out, but he explains that the animals were chasing him. Jack is like, not reacting the way you think he would, uh, either as like you know the reader who knows what jack went through or even as just like wendy who should be expecting him to be a little more like he was the other night with 217 about it he's just super kind of blase about it just like ah hey danny come here he just he just really once again this is just a slide there's no there's no getting off this 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 collapse here of character development um yeah he's he's uh this has become a bit of a buzzword on the internet over the last few years, but he is literally gaslighting Danny here. Yeah. And what makes this even worse, and what makes this worse, in my opinion, than saying everything's fine in 217, saying maybe Danny did it to himself, what makes it even worse than that is he knows exactly what Danny just went through because he went through it himself first. And the fact that Danny has now gone through it has to solidify in his mind that all of this is real. He cannot hide from this anymore. So what does he do? He pulls Danny over, points at the mounds of snow where the animals are covered, and he's like, what do you see? You see lumps of snow, huh? And, like, Wendy's getting pissed at him. I'm like, don't cross-examine him. What are you doing? And then, like, Danny... Danny's like, no, oh, it's real, it's real. But then he has he, his shine activates at this point, and he's he's staring at Jack, and he's like, you know, you know what happened, you know what happened because it happened to you. Like basically saying, I know what you know, and Jack slaps him. Asshole. Yeah. Just, just totally. And I think you know. I feel like this moment, there's been a lot of moments, and I'm really sorry to the listeners, but it's just, it is just very, it's just a total collapse of his, of his character, but it feels like this, at this point, this is, this is, uh, this is Anakin cutting off Mace Windu's hand, essentially. What a good analogy. It's, it's just, in this moment, it's. He's just crossed. He's crossed this line. That there is just no coming back. He's, he's, you know, he's trying to to gaslight Danny. He's leaving his family. That he knows he's leaving his family, in a situation of great danger. Um, he's doing it for like these incredibly selfish and petty reasons. Like a level of pettiness that if you have not read the book and they, and you're just reading and you're exposed to his thoughts, you're just like. 
I can't even believe this guy. You know, it just it just it's just it just bewildering. Uh, like just just a bewilderingly poor father in this moment. Um, just ugh, just just the 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 sheer revulsion that I felt for him in that moment. Just I can't. I oh, I could not. I could not believe that. Yeah, it's 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 insanely disgusting, and it's like I said, we're we're going from from tragic protagonist to irredeemable villain like jack torrance in this part i think has become the villain the overlook is the is the the major villain to continue with the star wars analogies here the overlook is palpatine jack torrance has now become darth vader for equivalency i i I think that that is there's a there's a grain of truth there it's like he's he's become fascinated with the overlook you know He's become and, and the mysteries of the Overlook and of the, the. It's not exactly like he's going to gain magical powers from the Overlook. That's not what he's trying to get. But if the book does pull, and again, his his pitch for the book, even though it was pitched to the totally wrong audience and was done again in the service of petty ends, it actually is a pretty good pitch. Sure. Like like it, it's anyway. But the 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 point is like it's. He's he is like a that that's but that's the same it's the same thing is he's 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 now seeking power in this case in the literary world from you know developing you know a writing and releasing this book and he that he thinks is going to give him like all this acclaim and stuff it's just I don't know I I think it is actually a very good analogy that you you've, you've uh, come up with here it was totally planned hundred <laughs> percent totally. But yeah, it's just, you know, Jack's complete disregard for the situation that he has placed them in is just, it's its irresponsible, it's insanely selfish, and just baffling. So, yeah, I mean, it's its just, you know, he, he like, I, like I've said before already now, he knows what he's doing, he knows what's happening, he knows the truth of it, and he's had a couple of moments where he understands the severity of it, but then he just... It's, it's okay, to, to actually use a book metaphor here, he's talking about how, like, his life has been like a wasp's nest and his hands always... This is like... There's, a, there's like, a wasp's nest sitting there, and he's like, man, if I stick my hand in that, it's gonna sting a lot. And, uh, oh no, I'm suddenly allergic to wasps, I've just now realized, so if I stick my hand in there, I'm gonna have an allergic reaction, and boy, things aren't gonna be as very good. I should not stick my hand in the wasp's nest. That would be a terrible idea to stick my hand in the wasp's nest. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Sticking my face in the wasp's nest, however, and then (laughs) proceeds to go head first into it. That's what he's doing. Yeah. Just... Unreal, fantastic writing. This is this is just extremely fantastic Stephen King writing, but just what a despicable character. So so later after after they've they've talked about it and after Danny's you know gone, um, he's uh, you know the, he he's talking to uh, Wendy is talking to him, and you know she in a very bizarre turn apologizes to Jack again this is you know 
It's just she she herself has now become a victim of abuse, much like Jack's mother. Uh, but she she says that, uh, but she still holds her ground that that Jack should not have hit Danny, and that he had, would never was never going you know promised that he would never hit Danny again, and all of that. And Jack he's just like like I said, he's having his like kind of probably final moment of clarity. He's like, yeah yeah, I guess you're right, you know. And then he's like, and then she's like, when the ranger comes. They all need to leave, and Jack's like, "Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that would be for the best." And uh, there's a part of him that she's, he's, he's waiting for this part of the conversation for her to ask about, um, "What did Danny mean when he said, you know, I'm telling the truth?'" And he realize, and he's just like, he's almost mentally begging her to ask him this, and because he, in, in his mind, he's like, "If she asks me, I'm going to just tell her." about all of these things and um but she doesn't she asks if he wants a cup of tea and he says yes and that that's kind of like the last moment um the i mean obviously i don't think that he could have had a, a realistically um come back from from this kind of thing but at, at least at least as a father um at least as a part of the Torrance family as as shown in this book i don't think there's any coming back from what he's done but maybe it could have been like the like the beginning of like i don't know maybe not like totally descending into being just total garbage but you know he just he they, they, he misses that last sort of out and it is tragic in a way not not that you feel extraordinarily bad for Jack at the moment because he's he's like we've said he's totally surrendered himself to not just the ho- the malign influence of the hotel but of his own sort of his own sort of darkness within him but there is this moment that you just you know it just it's just it's it feels like seeing a little flame in a in a dark room in like the, like the smallest little candle you can imagine just get snuffed out just this last potential moment to to reclaim any sort of part of his soul and it's just very sad yeah like i said face first into the wasp nest yeah 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 it's i don't think there was i think he was past the point of saving because i think even if he would have told her everything that would have just what 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 would that have changed honestly that would have made wendy even more frightened she would have been frantically trying to find a way for them to get off uh she'd be she'd be even more frantically trying to find a way to get them off of the mountain and unless he just miraculously found the 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 mag magneto or whatever it's called um and it was able to be still fixed that you know it that would be what it would have to come down to and i i think the odds of that happening are really low at this point because the overlook no it doesn't it doesn't change anything but it's like the last like bit of like his his ability to be self-reflective before that's that's you know before yeah. he totally just surrenders himself to his to his worst impulses i think that's what more what i'm saying is like no but like his the relationship with his wife is is for all intents and purposes destroyed and she is now like just his subordinated victim in some way 
and 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 you know he's he's destroyed his relationship with Danny because Danny now knows that he cannot trust his father and that his father you know is trying to make him feel crazy he's not he's not he and he's not trying to protect him anymore yeah so and so the family has essentially been destroyed by Jack's actions that's not what I'm saying I'm saying that like Jack, any chance of Jack to not just become a total monster. I don't know. I, I don't know quite how how to put it, but it just it feels like it was a very significant moment in Jack. It was just like, just like the devolution of his character. It's like there, there. Realistically, nothing material could have come up with that, but it's just it feels like it felt like like the final snuffing of the candle, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we have um, one of the knights now. Uh, they're all awoken by what sounds like some sort of mechanical mechanism going and they learn that it's the elevator and they all go up to investigate together and they see that the elevator is going up and down and up and down and up and down and Jack's like, ah, it's just short-circuiting. But meanwhile, Danny and Wendy are, they're getting, like, thoughts in their head, kind of like how it's been going throughout the book, how, you know, the characters will sometimes have intrusive thoughts and they're like, oh, that was weird. But for Danny and, and Wendy... It's the sounds of the party goers from the party that has been mentioned multiple times in the book at this point. The, the party where it's like, it's a masquerade ball. And at midnight, unmask, unmask, unmask. And they're getting these thoughts of what is probably the party goers as they're going up and down the elevator as it's approaching midnight. And Wendy's like, ah, what is happening? Ah, like I'm getting these thoughts. And, and Jack just, you know being part four Jack Torrance is like I don't hear a thing if you two want to be crazy you do it without me idiots and it's it's just insulting and he's it's so frustrating because I, I, I feel like he's hearing it too he's just he's just trying to exude all of this denial uh because he, fe- I guess he feels like if he says no, if he says these things aren't happening, then that's going to make them think that they aren't happening too. Maybe, I don't know. He's just in a lot of denial. But he stops the elevator and it's like halfway to the floor. Uh, so they can kind of like see into it a little bit. And then there's just the big gap on the floor that's going to lead down to the, the elevator shaft. And uh, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, it's nothing to see here. And Wendy's like, you kidding me? And she, like, hops up and starts climbing into the elevator. And one of her slippers falls down the shaft. And she starts throwing confetti out of the elevator. And, like, she throws, like, a banner. And she comes out holding a mask. And she's like, how is this okay? How is this normal? Like, what about this is is nothing? This isn't nothing, Jack. And he's just kind of like, just, like, speechless about it. But, um... Yeah, I mean, if we we've had like four or five smoking guns at this point, and I, I feel like this one is just this is this gun's on fire. <laughs> There's no denying this. The barrel has melted on this gun. <laughs> yeah, like it's this is just like now Wendy is in on it, full force. Like she's she has irrefutable. This something weird is happening here. She believes Danny. But, like, she's never actually been, as far as she's aware, a victim of the hotel yet. 
she has kind of but not in a way that she like recognizes but this is mm-hmm. like something that she can concretely say something's not right here so that's i think that's this is a really big switch for for wendy as well to where she goes from just being the supporting understander to like full-on believer maybe not full-on mm-hmm. believer but i think she started to make that turn yeah cool scene though really really fun chapter and so now we move on to the final piece here in this part and it's uh danny is in the ballroom and he's playing with this this massive i don't, I don't know if it's a grandfather clock or not it doesn't really go into details about it um so much outside of its general appearance um so he's playing with it and um just kind of messing around with it and it's it he brings it over to to noon or midnight to, to 12 o'clock and it does this little chime where these two dancers come out and <laughs> oh man this is probably my favorite one of my favorite lines in the book so far um so they do this little thing where they they kind of dance around together and then they like the 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 boy dancer grabs the girl dancer and it's like they kind of like flip her around and lay down and as as danny says it they're kissing peepees and it makes him sick i just very very strange uh clock there yeah which i i'm honestly of two minds of this like i think this could be the hotel just messing with him or it could actually be just just that's how the clock is and i could totally believe knowing what i know about the history of the overlook that the person somebody along the line of ownership just thought it would be funny to to have that there just some 69ing dolls on a on a clock I don't know. well i mean the 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 hotel was a brothel not terribly long before this or maybe not well it was like 20 years before but you know what i mean yeah. it's like it's like it, it so i imagine that kind of like body furniture was probably part of it yeah so now after seeing that grotesque display in danny's eyes um he he's like trying to reach tony cuz he realizes that he hasn't really had an 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 interaction with tony since the doctor's office and he's like trying and trying and trying and he doesn't feel like anything's working but then the the clock starts to to change and uh, this is done in such a great way i feel to where he he's talking about how the clock is now moving from the xii he can't read roman numerals uh the xii to the it was either the iv or the vi i can't remember which one it was four or six i'm not sure but the point being is the cl- the clock has been distorted to where the numbers are now out of order and i feel like that's kind of one of those things to where it's like you it's it's a subtle little thing that king did in the writing to where it's like you may not actually realize what what is happening until it's happening until it's like happening full on the way i'm understanding it is it's kind of like bouncing back and forth it's like the the masquerade ball in 1945 and also is you know like the during the 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 attack the uh, the assassination that took place in the presidential suite in the 60s yeah so the clock opens up completely the the face of it and it sucks danny in at least metaphysically his body just goes limp on the chair that he's sitting that he's standing on and he goes and he sees tony again and uh well not yet he doesn't see tony again but he starts seeing 
on the clock he sees red rum and it becomes reflected and here we go we finally get the payoff of red rum here red rum is a mirror reverse image of murder da 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 red rum is murder i can't believe it but then he he remembers he sees he sees um he's back in the the hallway being chased by the person with the rope bat and he sees another person there and it turns out to be dick halloran and dick's like hey if you need me just shout out you know just reminding him about the thing he told him hey just shout as loud as you can with your shine and i'll come a running and then he walks through the wall and then the the the, the figure finds danny danny finally and all he can see are its eyes and he falls through the wall after dick and that's when he sees tony and tony's like call out to dick call out to dick um and then tony wakes up tony no i'm sorry danny wakes up rather and just does the largest mental shout that he's ever done calling out for dick halloran and that's where the part ends that was that was quite a cliffhanger there yep not not quite the same as the one in part three, but still a good one. Now we're setting yeah. up for the finale. Yeah, and uh, I I for one am very excited that our our boy Dick Halloran will be making a a reappearance, or at least we are hoping that he will in this yeah. time. He's a great character. I did a little sneak peek, and I saw that the next chapter is called Florida. So okay, well I think I think it's fair to say that he he's coming back then. Yeah, so I think we're going to be starting with Dick Halloran in the next chapter to start out part five, the final part of The Shining. And I think that's going to do it for us today. Yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm very excited. This is going to, this next part is probably going to be one of our long, the longer uh, reading portions, but I'm still uh, very excited nevertheless. Yeah, I'm, this, this is such a great book. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm having so much fun reading it. It's just so masterfully written. And it's I, I don't know, man. Stephen King, man, he is just something else. Yeah, yeah. I I, I can't wait to see what's uh, what's next. And honestly, it's making me really want to read uh, Doctor Sleep as well. Yeah, that definitely has just, always been in my in the back of my mind as like a read it eventually. But it was always you know after The Shining. Yeah. Well, anyway, I guess that that's it for today. Um, you know, thank you everybody for listening. Um, once again, this is the Sad Boys Book Club, and I am Daniel. I'm Dusty. And we'll see you next time. Take care.